Extra Daily Planet Extra. The prophecy has come to pass that there would come to us a chosen one, and that he himself would be an artist and a skilled maker of toys. From this day on, now and forever, you will bring our gifts to all the children in all the world. This is your legacy and your gift, as is the gift of life. Alexander Salkine presents Dudley Moore. Merry Christmas! It certainly should be. And John Lithgow in the real story of Santa Claus. Now for the first time, the legend comes to life. In an Alexander and Elias Salkine production, Santa Claus the movie. Seeing is believing. Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to episode 9 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode is going to be the beginning of what I hope to be an annual tradition, a Christmas episode. There have been some Superman-related Christmas episodes in the past. Lois and Clark did three of them, as I recall, and Smallville did a handful, and that's that. This I am not going to cover one of those, because probably come a time down the road where I am going to have to cover those episodes in their proper context as part of the series, so I don't really want to jump ahead to do something on them. But what I decided to do, and like I mentioned before, Man of Screen Extra is not always going to necessarily be Superman-related, although most of the time it will be Superman on the screen or DC on the screen-related. But this time I'm going to pull out a movie that I kind of consider to be a cousin to the first three Superman movies and the 1984 Supergirl film. As Santa Claus the Movie, which was released in 1985, was produced by Alexander and Ilya Salkind after the Superman franchise had kind of run out of steam. And I know I've often told the story about how Superman 4 is the first Superman film that I remember going to see in the theater. And I've also mentioned the story my parents would tell about taking me to see Superman 3 and Return of the Jedi in 83, leading to my basic rejection of of an animated Disney film, much to my mother's chagrin. But this movie is one of the first films I remember going to as a child. I was five years old when this came out, but I do remember seeing this in the theaters. So, for that reason alone, the sheer nostalgia is probably why this movie is kind of near and dear to my heart. That doesn't make it good by any stretch of the imagination, at least not as a whole, but it makes it special to me. This is very much a tale of two films. For those of us who remember Richard, the way Richard Donner used to talk about Superman the movie, he always described that as three movies rolled into one. Obviously, one movie was the Krypton sequence at the beginning, the second was growing up in Smallville, while the third was everything that happened after Clark arrived in Metropolis. That's three movies right there. Except the difference between this and Superman the movie is everything was very good. This film, not so much. However, the first half of this movie is pure gold, in my opinion. I really like this film's take on the origin of Santa Claus. I mean, it's not the definitive origin of Santa Claus by any stretch of the imagination. I don't believe there is such a thing as the definitive origin of Santa Claus. I mean, Santa Claus has been around, at least the concept of, of him, has been around for centuries. And the only thing we can really 
Agrion is what he looks like, fat old man with the red suit, and what he does, deliver presents to the good little children on Christmas Eve. This film kind of paints Santa as originally a simple working man who got caught in a blizzard and met a group of elves, and it kind of shows how this simple toy maker kind of became the Christmas icon. And This film also tries to turn Santa into a bit of a superhero as he has a villain to fight. Well, not so much fight, but he's basically fighting for the spirit of Christmas. He has a, a friend of his to rescue and a plot by a greedy toy maker. You know, If you look at some of the old Christmas specials, especially the ones done by Rankin Bass, especially when you think about Santa Claus is coming to town, Santa was very often fighting greed, and that's something he's going to be fighting in this movie. It's also a little bit of a touch of what he fought in The Year Without a Santa Claus, where he kind of started having his doubts about people and whether they still had the Christmas spirit and still cared about them. There's a little bit of both of those in this particular film. So there's all that. And obviously, the film was really not well-liked. It was a financial failure at the time of release. It received mostly negative reviews from critics, I believe. The Rotten Tomato score is about 16 or 17%, if you go by such things. All that really means is that 17% of the reviewers liked it, gave it a positive review. It does, however, have a 66% audience score, which basically means that 66% of the people who have watched the film liked it. doesn't go into much detail. You know, it's either a yes or no, but, you know, it kind of gives some credence to uh, what people say about this film. That, you know, it kind of became a little bit of a cult Christmas classic after it uh, bombed out at the box office, like the previous two Salkind films kind of did. The last time I had watched this film prior to watching it for this podcast was a few years ago i was bored one night and i found it on netflix and i watched the first half love that i really enjoy the way this film depicts the origin of santa claus and exposes him to kind of the magic of it all and it's really cool to see that through santa's eyes for the first time and i'll get into more of that later but i just remember when it got to 1985 and i saw the capitol building and despite my love of uh john lithgow as a performer the movie goes to crap, basically, as soon as we get into the, uh, what felt like a tacked-on villainous plot entering more than halfway through the movie. Like I said, once you see that Capitol building at the hour mark, the movie changes, and it's not really. A lot of the magic seems to disappear right after that. And then it kind of becomes, uh, kind of an action-adventure, an adventure film, and instead of Superman, we're following Santa Claus. So, with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, I'm going to play a promo, then I'm going to come back and talk about... Santa Claus the movie. Hang around, folks. Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. 
want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. Let's let's do this, shall we? Santa Claus the movie. Release date in theaters was November 27, 1985. Estimated budget was about $15 million, which seems to me like a lot of money in the mid-80s. And total domestic box office was $27.3 million. So, as you can see, roughly half. That's not going to get it done. Some of the behind-the-scenes credits will sound very familiar to those of you who are familiar with the Christopher Reeve Superman films and some TV. This movie was directed by Jano Swark. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Swark also directed the previous year's Supergirl for the Salt Signs, and he has done some television. Those of you he's done some episodes of Heroes, Smallville, I think he did a few episodes of Jag, done some Law and Order, so he's had some steady work since these films have come out, mostly on the TV end, which is where he seems to have found his niche. Film was produced by Pierre Spengler and Ilya Salkind. Screenplay was by David Newman, who also had credits on Superman the Movie, Superman 2, and Superman 3. Those were all. And the story was by David Newman and Leslie Newman. Newman. She was David Newman's wife and also shared screenplay credits on the first three Superman films. The movie stars Dudley Moore as Patch, a creative and inventive elf whose passion for and faith in the 20th century is kind of put to the test. He, uh, Patch will... John Lithgow's character, BZ, who's basically the main antagonist, who is basically a greedy toy manufacturer who kind of uses Patch to reverse his own fortunes and take over Christmas. David Hiddleston is Santa Claus. I believe he needs no introduction. Judy Cornwell will play the role of Anya Claus, which basically is Mrs. Claus, Santa's wife. Burgess Meredith is the Ancient One. He is the one who will christen Claus as Santa Claus. Then we will meet... Then Jeffrey Kramer as Dr. Eric Towser. He is BZ's head of research and development. Christian Fitzpatrick is Joe, a 10-year-old orphan boy living on New York who becomes Santa's friend. And he will also befriend Cornelia, who's played by Carrie K. Heim, BZ's 9-year-old stepniece. And she's also an orphan. John Barrett is Dooley, Santa's personal assistant at the North Pole, basically. Anthony O'Donnell is Puffy, a bearded elf, who favors the traditional methods more as opposed to Patch's more radical progressiveness. Melvin Hayes is Goober, the head of the sewing department. Don Estelle is Groot, the elf senior chef. Not to be confused with Groot of Guardians of the Galaxy. Just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Tim Stern as Boog. He is one of Patch's friends. Peter O'Farrell as Honka, the second of Patch's three friends. And Christopher Ryan as Vout, another of Patch's friends. Keith Hayden is an elf. And Shannon Spruill is the bratty kid of ballet class. So bratty that she doesn't even deserve a name. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by Wikipedia. Sometime in the 14th century, Claus is a peasant woodcutter in his mid-50s, who, with his wife Anya, delivers his gifts to the children of local villages. One night, Claus, Anya, and their two reindeer, Donner and Blitzen, are rescued from certain death in a blizzard, only to be transported to the vast ice mountains way up at the top of the world. Their expected arrival is heralded with the appearance of several elves, or as Claus's people call them in their legends, the Vendigums, led by the venerable and wise elf named Dooley. Welcome. It's the Vendigum. The little people. We prefer to be called elves, if you don't mind. You, you. I'm the one called Dooley. We've been expecting you. Expecting us? For a long, long time. We almost gave up hope. Where are we? Home. 
Oh, no, no, no. Our, our home is far from your home. Not anymore. This is your home now. Well, what does he mean? Uh, you, you don't understand. We live in a village. <clears throat> Bits of old ropes. Single hinge runner connectors. It's unbelievable. See, I'm going to have a lot to teach him. Oops. Hi there. Hi, I'm the one called Patch. Uh, welcome aboard, sir. Speaking with the boys and myself. I. Oh, you must be the missus. Me? Yeah. Well, we were expecting someone nice, but not someone so young and pretty, pretty and young, were we, boys? No. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't be off conscious. My friends, let us show you your new home. Patch, take charge of the reindeer. Yeah. Uncle, take charge of the reindeer. Boop, take charge of the reindeer. About, take charge of the reindeer. I don't understand. What new home? There's nothing here. Look again. Where did it come from? It was always here. But it can't be seen by just anyone, you know. Hmm? Come, fellow elves. Take them to their new home. Lead and follow. Follow and lead. Claus and Anya also meet inventive elf Patch and the more down-to-earth Puffy. What is all this? They're Christmas toys. Waiting for you. <laughs> for me. Well, what have they got to do with me? You're going to give them to your children. There, there must be a mistake. We have no children. You do now. You have all the children of the world. But how could I deliver all these toys? I won't live long enough for that. Both of you will live forever. Like us. Donner and Blitzen are joined by six other reindeer and fed magic food that allows them to fly. When Christmas Eve comes, Claus is approached by the oldest of elves, the Ancient One. A prophecy has come to pass that there would come to us a chosen one. And that he, having no child of his own, would love all children everywhere. And that he himself would be an artisan and a craftsman and a skilled maker of toys. And now, chosen one, come forward. From this day on, now and forever, you will bring our gifts to all the children in all the world. And all this to be done on Christmas Eve. How can I do so much in just one night? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, know this. Time travels with you. The night of the world is a passage of endless night for you until your mission is done. This is your legacy and your gift, as is the gift of flight. Hmm? Now, all those within the sound of my voice, 
and all those on this earth everywhere know that henceforth you will be called Santa Claus. Centuries pass as the mythology of Santa is created until the 20th century, where Santa is exhausted by the continuous workload he must do every year due to the world's increasing population. Your soup's getting cold. Welcome back, Santa. Have a good trip. What's this? Uh, next year's schedule. Oh, can't it wait a few days? He's just come home. No! Mm. Oh. <sighs> I must have dozed off. Darling, why don't you get an assistant? Hmm? What? I don't like to see you pushing yourself like this. You're spreading yourself too thin. Who would want the job? Two elves spring to mind. One of them practically bounces to mind. (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm supposed to show you this. What is it? Oh, something Batch thought up. Look at that. Isn't that a clever thing? To which Patch and Puffy compete to earn via a competition to produce the most toys in a limited amount of time. Patch uses a machine he has invented, and although he wins, it begins to produce shoddy works without his knowledge. During his annual deliveries, Santa befriends a homeless 10-year-old orphan boy, Joe, New York City. Hello, son. Hey, beat it, man. Find your own doorway. Don't crowd me. What are you doing out here? I'm pitching a no-hitter for the Yankees. What's it look like? But it's Christmas Eve. Don't you know what that means? Yeah, it means you're out of a job till next year, you and the rest of the winos. Don't you know who I am? Sure, you're a nut. I'm Santa Claus. Right, and I'm the Tooth Fairy. Well, I guess I'll just have to do it my way. Holy cow! How'd you do that? See, what did I tell you? Come on, Santa Claus ain't... Real? Want to go for a ride? A ride? A ride on that? I've never even been in a plane. Well, you'd better make up your mind. I'm pretty busy tonight. Yeah, sure, if it's all right. I mean, like, really? (laughs) Now, hold on tight, and don't worry. You'll be as safe here as you are in your own home. I ain't got a home. Mm -hmm. Do you know how to say, yo? Yo? Take them for a flight around the skyscrapers of Manhattan and his sleigh. Santa lets Joe take the reins, who flies the sleigh underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, much to Santa's horror, and then playfully gets his own back on Joe by having his reindeer perform the Super Duper Looper around the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, an aerial trick that involves them doing a complete 360-degree turn, but Donner always fails due to acrophobia. Santa takes Joe on his deliveries, where they meet nine-year-old Cornelia. Are you him? Are you Santa Claus? Boy, I hate it when this happens. Hello, little girl. Is this my doll? Hmm. What are you doing here? You two know each other. (laughs) Sort of. I'm Cornelia. I'm Joe. I'm Santa Claus. (laughs) Oh, it's a great pleasure to meet you, sir. Oh, uh, would you like some cookies? They're from Bloomingdale's. Oh. Chocolate chip. They're my favorite. Listen, Corny. Thanks for all the good food you gave me. I can make you a bowl of ice cream. Um, I'll tell you what, Joe. You stay here and have something to eat. 
I'll see you again. You will? You mean it? Santa Claus doesn't lie, Joe. Next Christmas Eve, we got a date, okay? You bet. <laughs> Thanks for the cookies. What a guy. Excellent. On Christmas Day, Patch's toys be begin to fall apart, prompting him to quit his job and let Puffy take over. Traveling to New York, Patch meets BZ, Cornelia's step-uncle, and a scheming executive of a toy company that faces a total shutdown by congressional investigation due to unsafe products. Believing BZ's toys are popular due to their witnessing several toys being removed from a shop window, Patch decides to help BZ make better toys. Listen, you make toys, right? Are you, uh, <laughs> from the Federal Trade Commission? No, I'm from the North Pole. Listen, Junior, I've got enough on my mind without having to deal with an escaped lunatic. How do you know I escaped? What are you? Well, isn't it self-explanatory? How's that? I'm an elf. An elf? Yes. You mean, like, a fairy? No, I'm not a fairy. I'm an elf. But, but, why are you here? Well, I gather you're a great toy giver. I'm a great toy maker. We should get together. Why should I do that? Well, you know the old saying, heaven helps those who help their elf. But, but, but why me? Because I want to help you. Why? So, Santa Claus will appreciate me. I was right. You are a lunatic. Don't you believe in Santa Claus? Why should I? He never brought me anything. That's because you were probably a naughty boy. Yes. I guess I was no angel. <laughs> oh. What did you have in mind, elf? Just let me use your toy factory. To make what? Something special. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the idea. First of all, you stop making all your regular toys. What? Well, I mean, I'm sure they're fine and dandy, dandy and fine, but we won't be needing them anymore. Won't be needing them anymore? No. Oh, uh, tell me something. How can I tell all the people about my something special? Advertise. Advertise? How do I do that? In my line, television works best. Oh, I know. Those little, uh, those little picture box uh, thingies. Yeah, can we uh, get on those? With enough money, a horse in a hoop skirt can get on one of those. Money? I, I don't know much about that. Go on. Oh. Let's, um, keep it that way, huh? Okay. Uh, but you'll fix it so I can get on the telly... What's it? Yeah. When? Uh, Christmas Eve. How long? Is the minute all right? Yeah. What channel? Well, all of them. All of them? Yeah. Which countries? All of them. All of them? Yes. All the countries, all the channels. That would cost a fortune. If you give extra kisses, you get bigger hugs. Sorry. That's what Sanders' wife's always saying. <laughs> anyway, that's all the advertising you'll ever need. It better be. How many workers does this uh, product require? Just me. No payroll? Well, my needs are simple. A bowl of stew, heavy on the dill, a cold place to sleep. Mm -hmm. What would it cost? Cost? Cost who? Uh, the people who, who buy the toy. Well, nothing. We're going to give them away free. Oh. Oh, that's fantastic. How do you turn your face so red so fast? For free? Well, that's how we do it at the North Pole. Well, that's not how we do it here! In a free enterprise system! We're... On the other hand... This would go a long way towards cleaning up my public image. Excuse me? It's oh, not a bad investment. All that good PR. 
I'm intrigued. Excuse me, you're drooling on your tie. Yes, I know. I said I was intrigued, didn't I? Oh, now listen, son. What experience do you have in toy manufacture? <sighs> Come on, I'm, I'm entirely elf-taught. Uh-huh. What about it, Beasy? Huh? This product of yours, this, uh, something, uh, special. What exactly is it? It's something that's very easy to make. Uh -huh. It's cheap. Uh -huh. It's simple. Uh -huh. You can turn them out by the thousands. Uh -huh. And yeah. and it's got a secret ingredient. Using some of the reindeer feed to create lollipops, which can make people fly and giving them to children for free. Patch also constructs a hovercraft called the Patchmobile to deliver the products like Santa and helps create a new holiday on March 25th. The future is ours, Patch. But I'm going back to the North Pole, says who? <laughs> oh, nobody yet. But now Santa Claus has seen what I can do, I'm sure he's going to send for me to come home. Well, why would you want to do that? What does the North Pole have that New York doesn't? Ice and polar bears. And Santa Claus and my friends. All right, all right, I'll tell you what. Just do me one favor before you go. No, I can't. I've got to go back. No, 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 no. Not for me. For them, Patch. Who? Am I right? Something. Something for them. Something for all the children of this miserable old world. <laughs> so how about it? Will you do it? Well, what is it? This stardust, this reindeer cornflakes, whatever it is that made the children walk on air. Mm -hmm. well, well, what would happen if you were to juice up the formula a bit? Just make it stronger. Well, it's self-explanatory. I mean, it would make them fly. <laughs> fly? Fly? Yeah, fly! You mean, like, fly? <laughs> like, fly? Fly high in the sky. And could you do that before you go? Yes, but I... Patch. Wouldn't take you long, would it? Lollipops? No, no. <laughs> now we did that already. That's yesterday's news. The consumer needs a new model. Well, <coughs> candy canes. Candy canes? Mm-hmm. Of course. Pat! You are some terrific elf. I mean, I could convert the... I could convert the, the, the machines to do candy canes and uh, in a week or two, and then I suppose... We can launch the ad campaign tomorrow. Strike while the iron is hot. I can promise delivery in, say, three months. Three months? But it's a year to Christmas. You've got a hit like we have, Patch. The people don't want to wait a whole year. They're dying for a sequel. A sequel. That's it. We'll bring it out on March 25th, and we'll call it... Christmas 2! Christmas 2? Santa disapproves of Patch's actions and feels disheartened about continuing his job if the children of the world do not care anymore. Maybe the whole idea is no good anymore. What are you talking about? What idea? Christmas. Claus. The world is a different place now, Anya. You don't see it. The people don't seem to care about giving a gift 
just so they can see the light of happiness in a friend's eyes. Just, just doesn't feel like Christmas anymore. Maybe this fellow Beezy is smarter than I am. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just an old fool. Patch is disturbed when BZ plans to turn himself into the face of Christmas and asks Patch to develop candy canes, which enable flight. While Patch works at night, BZ's assistant, Dr. Eric Towser, appears at his house. By the way, Towser, what the hell did you want anyway? It's the candy canes. Well, what about them? Something's wrong. They're dangerous. What the hell are you talking about? This Patch guy. Uh-huh. He told me he keeps that secret ingredient of his in cold storage because it comes from the North Pole. Uh-huh. So we started manufacturing the candy canes. Uh-huh. It's a very powerful mixture, you know. Uh-huh. So I just assumed I should refrigerate them, too. Damn it, Towser, get on with your story. Stop giving me all these short sentences and making me go, uh-huh, 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 like some kind of damn moron. Uh-huh. I had to move one of the batches of candy canes to another part of the factory. I left a box next to a radiator in the lab. And? There's no more lab. <laughs> the candy canes exploded. They react to extreme heat and turn volatile. We've got to stop this. Stop! Are you insane? We've got millions of dollars pouring in every day. Most of it in cash. Cash, man! Small, unmarked bills. Easy. This stuff can kill people. Are you going soft on me? No, I'm not going to listen to you, idiot. Who else knows about this? Nobody, but... What about Patch? He was asleep on the other side of the building. He didn't hear anything. Don't tell him. Don't tell anybody. Easy. These are children we're talking about. Yes? And who appreciates them better than I? These industrious little boys and girls saving all their nickels and dimes to get the magic candy canes that I promised them. They'll get what they paid for. If these people are so reckless as to have radiators in their houses. Reckless? Houser. How does Brazil sound to you? Brazil? Brazil. Sandy beaches, tropical breezes, big rum drinks with pineapple in them, senoritas in string bikinis, and, oh yes, no extradition proceedings. You mean? You and me, Eric. We'll take the cash and let the elf taste the music. <laughs> Joe and Cornelia eavesdrop on the conversation, but Joe is caught and locked up in the basement of BZ's factory. Patch finds Joe and discovers Santa made a carving for Joe that resembles him. Oh my gosh! What are you doing down here? I never did. What are you talking about? He said the kids didn't like him no more on the county. You. You don't even know Santa Claus. Do so. Do not. He said I was his only friend left. You dumb punk. But I, I, I was. Uh, I just wanted him to see what a good assistant I could be. He's seen what you are. You're a dummy, stupid, and oh. stink-faced uh, creep who made the kid no. the best guy ever. Hey, what? What's this? Give me that. It's mine. Hey, where did you get it? He gave it to me. See, I told you I was his best friend. My elf portrait. 
He does like me after all. Huh? Come on, forget it. Where are we going? We're going to the North Pole. We'll both go. And for once, we'll bring Santa Claus a present. Cornelia sent a letter to Santa, informing him of the situation. Despite Comet and Cupid having the flu, Santa gathers up the other six reindeer and he arrives to pick Cornelia up. Santa and Cornelia pursue the Patchmobile, which is carrying a huge supply of candy canes on the verge of exploding. Santa convinces his reindeer to perform the Super Duper Looper in order to catch Patch and Joe as the Patchmobile explodes. Meanwhile, BZ's crimes are uncovered when Cornelia calls the police, and Dr. Towser and BZ's chauffeur Grizzard are arrested. BZ attempts to evade the police by eating several candy canes and tries to fly out of his office window, only to fly up into the sky. The film ends with the inhabitants of the North Pole celebrating the triumph with a joyous dance party. What about Corny? <laughs> can I stay? Just till next Christmas. Please? And you can give her a lift home next year. Well, do we? As if I don't have enough to do. Now I'm going to have to be a school teacher. School? <laughs> BZ, in spite of his pleas for help, is doomed to float off to the depths of space among the equally affected remains of the passion as the end credits roll. Like I mentioned before, this is really two movies, and with the first half as the origin story of Santa as a toy maker who got stranded in a blizzard at the top of the world. So the movie starts with an old woman telling the story of the Vendigum, which is we're going to come to know as Santa's elves, and they're sitting there waiting because it's Christmas Eve and it's a blizzard, but that doesn't stop Claus from, he's the only Claus here, not Santa Claus, from fighting through the blizzards and bringing them little figurines. I think this is about to be the 13th or 14th century here, so... The movie's going to establish that Santa's been around for about 700 or... six or 700 years before he's a, we encounter him in the 20th century. He starts off with two of his reindeer, Donner and Blitzen, and he's leaving this house uh, after he gives out all of his uh, little figurines to the children here, and he decides he needs to get to the other village on the other side of the forest, but as you can see, this blizzard is getting worse. You know, you definitely don't want to drive through a blizzard. I can only imagine how hard it is to get through with a couple of reindeer and a sleigh. And no lights. And no pavement. And no road or anything. So eventually they get lost in the blizzard and the reindeer collapse. They're probably going to freeze to death. This is, you know, almost a dark beginning for a Santa Claus movie. As This blizzard is just about to, to kill them. The only reason they survive is because they're going to get saved by the timely arrival of, of the elves to kind of kidnap him and turn him into Santa Claus. This movie has named Mrs. Claus Anya, which is maybe some kind of Scandinavian or Northern European name, perhaps. I'm not entirely sure. Whatever her name is, she looks like she's done for in this blizzard along with Claus. And after they're unconscious, I like this visualization of kind of the North Star kind of shining down on the ground. It's kind of a little of a Christmas tree uh, shape. Fit at the top and fat at the bottom. And kind of the reindeer seem to notice first... It almost seems as though the reindeer, if you look at the reindeer, you know, one nudges the other, almost like you're trying to say, which is uh, pretty cool. It almost seems like the reindeer are talking to each other as the uh, Bendigum village appears. And then we get what could look ominous in other kinds of films, but all we see are a bunch of little uh, lights headed uh, toward the camera, and uh, these are the elves. We're going to meet the elves for the first time, and the first person who's going to speak is 
Dooley. He is going to become Santa's... Patch will become his assistant later, but uh, or kind of more like his hand elf. Dooley is kind of the senior elf, and he's much more like Santa's uh, personal assistant. To steal a concept from the office, Patch will become Santa's assistant, while Dooley seems to be the assistant to Santa. I'll bet you didn't think I could compare Santa Claus the movie to The Office. I can, and I did. So this scene gives us our first look at Dudley Moore as Patch. Interesting note about Dudley Moore is he was actually sought after for the role of Nigel in the Saul Kind's previous film, Supergirl. But he turned it down and suggested his former comic partner, Peter Cook, who was eventually cast in, in the role. So fun little note there. The Saul Kind's finally got him for this film. So they introduced themselves as the one called Patch, the one called Dooley, the one called Puppy, you know, this and that, the one called whatever. So the elves kind of just abscond with Claus and his wife, and they kind of just tell them, this is your new home, and as soon as the building appears, they go. I do like the chemistry and the playfulness between Claus and his wife. David Huddleston and the woman who plays his wife seem to have some pretty good chemistry going going on in this scene. They have some scenes together, but not a whole lot. She's relegated to the background a lot of the time. Her big uh, contributions are helping design Santa's suit and keeping his beard out of the soup in a key scene. So we get to the workshop, and, and as this is the 14th century, this is very wooden and it's also very colorful. And they show Santa around the workshop, and when they get into the storage room, there's a lot of toys in here, and it's almost as though they've been making these toys for a long time. And I kind of wonder why they would do that if they have no one to deliver them. Kind of a question that's not going to get answered. Pat shows early on that he's kind of ahead of his time, saying he wants to heat the facility using pipes. Obviously, the 13th or 14th century, this was many centuries before indoor plumbing was developed. The one thing this movie does well, especially in the in these first 60 minutes, is that it tries to instill a sense of wonder in the legend of Santa Claus. You know, some of the early visuals are very colorful, very deliberate, and they show a very grand scope. And you can see in the acting of David Huddleston, you know, some people say he's a bad actor, but I think he's good enough here. You know, he's not doing anything spectacular, but he's good enough for this role. He does a good job with his facial expressions, showing a sense of wonder. He's never seen anything like this before, and he's taken it all in, and it seems very overwhelming to him in a wonderful kind of way. Apparently, the elves have this prophecy where basically a childless couple will come to them, deliver the toys, and basically love all children throughout the world. I kind of like the idea of a childless couple kind of adopting all the world's children at Christmas. And at the end of this film, it's going to call back to this when the childless couple and the bunch of elves adopt a couple of parentless children. So there's a nice symmetry there at the end to this mentioned right here in the 14th century of Santa not having any children. During Claus's first night at the North Pole, we'll call it, this is when he meets the rest of the reindeer. Remember, he showed up with Donner and Blitzen, so we meet Dasher and Dancer, Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid. Apparently, Donner is the more temperamental of the, of the reindeer. Donner's going to have some emotional issues throughout this movie, just to let you know. I've never known of a reindeer to have emotional difficulties, but there it is. And then the next morning, the elves get to work. This sequence is probably one of my favorites in the film. The elves get to work. And the problem with taking these notes at night is that this score will probably be stuck in my head as I go to sleep tonight. And, and it's during this sequence that they make the Santa suit. At first, it's a very ugly shade of green. One person, one elf, suggests brown for some reason before Patch comes up with red, so much to Anya's delight. So it's Christmas Eve, and he's ready to make his journey, and I really like this Santa suit. 
obviously, he has not wearing the hat yet, but he's wearing the traditional Santa suit that, you know, we see in the mall every year or wherever Santa is wandering around. But I really like this long overcoat over the classic Santa suit. <clears throat> you know, it's basically the same thing. It's a red overcoat with uh, white furs kind of around the outline. Just a very nice looking Santa suit. Now, before his first voyage, here comes the ancient elf, played by Burgess Meredith. So, not only does this film have a connection to Superman, but also to Batman as well, as Burgess Meredith played the Penguin in the 1960s TV series. And his white beard is so long that it takes two other elves to carry it. And I'll be honest, I saw this after having seen some of the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials, specifically Rudolph's Shiny New Year, which I guess would be a New Year special as opposed to a Christmas one. So... I thought this was Father Time, especially when he talks about giving Santa an endless night to, to work with to make his deliveries. Basically, the ancient elf uh, told him about time zones. And it is here that the ancient elf christens him as Santa Claus. And he kind of ushers in the Christmas season. So after all this, the fun begins again, and that Making Toys soundtrack theme comes up again. The soundtrack for this movie, you can actually find it, find it on YouTube. Which is where I listen to some of it. There are actually words to the Making Toys track, which is track four. Because I was kind of looking for some companion music to go with the show. And I was very disappointed that they had the children's choir singing lyrics to this track. Not because I thought it was bad, but because I was really looking for just the music kind of the way it appeared on this film. The reindeer sparkle on their shiny food here. That's going to make them fly. And the reindeer start glowing and shaking. And they're powering up. They're ready to go. And when all this happens, Santa dons his cap, and off they go, kind of running down a runway and taking off. And as they take off, Santa is laughing. He is enjoying this trip down the runway, and it really reminded me, even though this movie was made many years later, in a way, the sequence of Man of Steel, where, he fl- where Superman flies for the first time and is smiling, kind of reminds me of this in a little bit. I thought of Man of Steel when I watched this sequence just uh, the other night. <clears throat> so obviously, Santa... The fun of flying wears off when Donner gets afraid of heights. Oh, come on, Donner. There's nothing to worry about. It's only flying. <laughs> it's only flying. What am I saying? Oh, oh. He kind of wonders what the hell he's saying because he is the first time of him, too. And I don't think it dawned on him until he said that to Donner. So now the hourglass is a good show us that he started in the 14th century. And the centuries pass as he flies through this montage. And we're seeing all the tropes of the Santa legend. First, the children writing the letters, and it started with letters. I believe you could actually send text to Santa now, if I'm not mistaken. And as we get to the 18th century, kids are learning how to read and write, which is good. Also, in the 18th century, there is a kid torturing a cat, much like some of my kids do, although not to this extent. They just annoy the cat. This kid is actually kind of pulling on its collar and hair and causing it to scream and, and yelp until the girl gets him to leave it alone. So, she does what anybody else would do. She writes a letter to Santa telling him all about it. And, you know what? Mrs. Claus is going to invoke the parental need for punishment. And this kid is not getting a present. Much to uh, Santa's surprise. I am sure he hurts the poor little kitten. And when I cry, he just laughs at me. Yours sincerely, Miss Sarah Foster. You are quite right to bring this to our attention, Julie. That little boy must not get a present. No present for him? <laughs> Every child should get a present. It's time to change the rules. You'll have folks saying that Santa Claus only rewards the good little boys and girls. Isn't that as it should be? All right. Duly, 
Make up a list of who is naughty and nice. Yes, sir. And be careful. I'll be checking it twice. I like the moment where he has to... Are you, you're going to have people saying that Santa only gives presents to the nice kids, which Anya really has no problem with. And so she convinces him to only give gifts to the nice children. And Santa makes his note to Dooley that he'll be checking it twice, which is a nod to the classic song Santa Claus is Coming to Town, where he's making a list and checking it twice. So we also we see more uh, Santa Claus tropes as he goes down a chimney for the first time. And this movie... Fits the fat guy down the chimney as he touches his nose like in the Twas the Night Before Christmas poem, which we're going to get to again in a minute In a minute here. And he kind of turns into a cloud of glitter and uh, goes down the chimney that way. So, now we're in the 19th century, and Dooley is reading Twas the Night Before Christmas, which was published anonymously and credited to Clement Clark Moore, who claimed authorship in 1837. There are others who believe that it was written by Henry Livingston Jr., that Authorship of the poem has not been decided upon, nor probably will it ever be. It's just going to be one of those mysteries that we're never going to solve. It was the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. What is it? It's a poem. A poem about me. They say it's a big hit. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed. Like a bowl full of jelly. What? Pardon? Was that? That last part? He had a broad face. Yes. Go on. And a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. It's just a poem. <laughs> Is that how they think I look? Well, in the, the cookies. Mm. Yeah. It's the cookie. It's cookies. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Santa takes exception to what is written in this poem. Apparently he didn't like the part where they talk about his belly shaking like a bowl full of jelly. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that either, even though mine does shake like a bowl full of jelly. But either way, Santa is going to put him up Put himself on a diet. And in the next scene, we're going to see him looking quite miserable, munching on a piece of celery. Which brings up an interesting question. Where does one get fresh veggies at the North Pole? You don't think there'd be much of a growing season unless they're doing hydroponics in the 19th century. Another hourglass brings us to the 20th century, which means we can start feeling a bit of dread. Because when we get to modern times, is when this movie goes off the rails. But not yet. Apparently, as time has gone on and the Earth's population has grown, which means that there are more children than ever before... Santa's job has gotten much more stressful and he's overworked and fallen, fallen asleep. Guy works one day a year and he can't stay awake. So anyway, apparently Patch is credited in this film with creating the snow globe, which we see in souvenir shops everywhere. So here we go, uh, 1985 New York City, and we're going to meet Joe for the first time. And we're going to see a Santa on the street who's going to pocket some donations and uh, take some hooch out of his box. Nice upstanding citizen. Now, a note on the... We'll call them the fake Santas, you know, the department store Santas, the guy on the street ringing the bell. I don't know what you told your kids, if you had kids growing up, but my parents always told me that the, the Santa whose lap I would sit on at, you know, breakfast with Santa events or at the mall, that those guys basically worked for Santa Claus and they their job was to report back my order, basically. But if this particular Santa works for the big guy, he is not doing a very good job of 
being Christmassy and charitable. So after that glorious origin story, this is kind of the point in the film where I stopped caring as soon as Joe and Cornelia come on the screen. Neither of these child actors have done much other than this film, so watch the movie kind of see why. This is where we meet Cornelia, who is rich, is being raised by a nanny, and she apparently has eyes for homeless Joe. So back at the North Pole, uh, Patch is all over the idea of being Santa's assistant. You know, like we've seen throughout the film, he's the guy willing to try new things to modernize, while his uh, chief uh, competition, Puffy, is more attached to the traditional methods. Santa demands results, and we're off to the races. And we've seen throughout the film that Patch has always been a little bit ahead of the curve, a little in love with technology. And he creates an assembly line to put toys together. You know, not a bad idea. You know, you can always use an assembly for a deal with greater volumes. But the machine has to work. And at first it does, but we quickly see that the assembly line, that the machine is speeding up, producing the toys too quickly, the screws aren't going in properly. And, you know, it's pretty obvious that this is going to be a problem later as the movie's score gets much more ominous. So when all is said and done, Patch is automated... Workshop produces far more than Puffy's traditional workshop does, and Patch gets the job. Then we go back to New York City as time has passed. Joe shows up at Cornelia's door after scoping out of McDonald's, you know, and she leaves him a plate of food and a can of Coke. You know, she feeds him as if the way somebody would feed a stray cat. She even calls him like one. Little boy. And she leaves him some food. Yep. Keep feeding those strays, Corny, and they're going to keep coming back. So here comes... Santa coming to New York City. It's Christmas Eve again. And Santa finds homeless Joe on the street and introduces himself as Santa Claus, who, of course, doesn't believe in Santa. And, you know, in order to make him believe, Santa invites Joe into the sleigh. And for his, this is probably the nicest thing anyone has done for Joe in a long time. And for as mean as he can come off, I think he appreciates it. We know nothing about Joe, and we're not going to learn anything about Joe. So we're not going to we know he apparently has no parents and that he's living on the street. We're not gonna, this movie's not going to tell us anything else about him. That's not what we came here for. So Santa takes uh, Joe for a joyride in the sleigh. They try the Super Duper Looper, which is set up for later, but Donner chickens out and they don't make it. And Santa makes the mistake of giving Joe the reins, and this kid is pretty exuberant. And I'm kind of waiting for him to lose control of the sleigh, but while Santa gets airsick. And while this is going on, there's a couple of iconic shots that you kind of see a lot in commercials and stuff like that. Especially this one of the sleigh flying... Through the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. I really feel as though I've seen that one quite a bit. So now Joe's joyriding is going to take them under the Brooklyn Bridge and over its next door neighbor, the Manhattan Bridge, which reminds Santa that he's got a job to do tonight and can't joyride all night. Eventually they get to Cornelia's house and Joe knocks over a lamp and basically gets Santa busted by Cornelia. I think every kid at one time or another has dreamed of walking in on Santa Claus delivering the presents on Christmas Eve. I know I did. I never busted Santa in my, in my house. Oh, well. In Brooklyn, we basically lived in a two-family house with more than much more than a two-bedroom apartment. I always used to ask how Santa got in through the locked door. My dad would just say we, we never locked it. In what could be the next day or next spring, Patch's toys start falling apart and much crying is had and done and tears are shed. And my advice to you is, as you get to be a certain age, don't tell people you believe in Santa Claus, as it will get you bullied and beat up. As Joe gets beat up by some fellow homeless kids and Cornelia is bullied by the ballet brat brigade. And then they're showing their great customer service. The uh, winds of Christmas scoop up the broken toys and deliver them back to Santa at the North Pole. And this his failure of his machine causes Patch to quit before he could demote him back to being a regular elf. 
You know, and you can tell Patrick's feeling bad about this. He didn't have any bad intentions. He just wanted to he wanted to get the job and I don't wanna I don't know if I wanna say he cut corners, but technology definitely failed him. So the movie is kinda of showing here, if it's taking a stand at all, that the traditional way of doing things is the best way. Tony Moore does alright with this role. He does a good job playing the exuberant risk taker and you know, I really feel his sadness as he runs away from the North Pole in shame. And then we see the dreaded Capitol building. Not that the Capitol building in and of itself is dreaded. And not that John Lithgow should be dreaded. But with the arrival at the hour mark, with about 47 minutes to go, this is where the movie goes south. Because now you get a very basic story about how BZ is being investigated by the Senate because his toys are dangerous. Somebody holds up one of his stuffed bears and all kinds of glass and stuff falls out. Just the kind of thing you want to get your kids. One note, John Lithgow got second billing in this film. It takes him 60 minutes to arrive at it. He didn't have to do much work, did he? And, you, know, you kind of watch John Lithgow's performance, and it really defines the kind of character BZ is and how he's going to play him. Even when BZ smiles, a shiver kind of goes up your spine. You, This man is one creepy man. And although he's only going to appear a little bit in these last 47 minutes, he makes an impression in the scenes he does have as there is plenty of scenery to be chewed, and John Lithgow chews all of it. This movie was actually my first exposure to John Lithgow, and I would have come to appreciate him more on Third Rock from the Sun. I didn't watch that show religiously, but I enjoyed it when I caught it on. You know, that was back in the time when you had to channel surf, so if I came across that show when it was on, I didn't watch it. Funny John Lithgow story. When I was with my fiancé in the early to, early to mid-2000s, we used to go to about a Broadway show a year. One year we went to go see Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, where Lithgow was playing the man in the chair. So having known John Lithgow, I was really looking forward to seeing him in this sh- musical. Of course, what happens when we get there? The little note in the playbill. John Lithgow will not be performing tonight. For today. That was a major disappointment for that show. That was the main reason why I wanted to go. To have that taken away from me right before I walked in the door was very disheartening. But it's not his fault, you know. That's what happens. You run that risk sometimes when you go to a Wednesday matinee. Alright, so Patch is in BZ's office and he's making a pitch to him. And this movie does a good job making the elves seem shorter than everyone else. The elves don't actually appear very often with, you know, full-size people. The only people the elves ever appear on screen with usually is Santa. So Patch's idea is to take the reindeer feed and turn it into lollipops. And he wants to kind of show Santa where it's at, that he can do do things right. And speaking of chewing the scenery, when Patch suggests giving the, the lollipops away for free, BZ leans back as though he's choking and his face turns red. And my favorite is Patch kind of pointing out, hey, how do you do that? How do you make your face that red? And just the way he yells, for free! I can't do it justice, but... For free! One of the very memorable moments in this film. All of the memorable moments in this film, in this portion of it, for that matter, are courtesy of John Lithgow. His Christmas 2 speech is also gloriously awful and great at the same time. You got a hit like we have, Patch! The people don't want to wait a whole year! They're dying for a sequel! We'll bring it out on March 25th, and we'll call it Christmas Tool! So in the next scene, uh, John Lithgow will do some more scenery chewing in the empty factory about how he's going to make a fortune. And 
then we go back to the North Pole, we kind of learn that Santa has kind of gone back to his roots for Joe, creating an elf statue, which ironically resembles Patch as he subconsciously carved his face. And, you know, it's not in the show what Patch actually has come to mean to him over the last six or seven hundred years. So I really like with Puffy kind of taking over the assistant ship as the more traditional toy maker. I really like how Santa goes back to his own roots and carves the statue for Joe. That it resembles Patch shows how important Patch is to him, but the fact that Santa is personally going to make this toy for Joe shows what the boy came to mean to him in his last trip. And now for a little bit of a plot dump, we learned that BZ is Cornelia's step-uncle, and Santa and the elves would get a little upset about this bad-looking commercial that Patch is in. I would call it bad in an 80s commercial kind of way, but since this was filmed in the early 80s, that kind of seems like a pointless comment. Ah, Patch seems to have made a Patchmobile, it's basically a rocket-powered flying car, and it's fueled by the stuff that makes the reindeer fly. Apparently, Patch thinks he's going to be Santa this year, and Santa is undaunted. He is going to do his job. Ugh. I'm glad that everyone's got a job to do. Everyone, including BZ and Towers and all them, are screaming on Patch as he leaves. It can't can make my ears hurt. It sounds like the beginning of my NASCAR race. Now, the flying effects look okay in this film. They're not great. They're probably on par with Superman 3. Can't really touch uh, Superman the movie and Superman 2. And now we're going to see Joe again, and it's kind of amazing how Joe has an age a day and a year. You know, sometimes with children, there's quite a difference between 10 and 11, and Joe has not aged a day. Meanwhile, I've watched a show like The Walking Dead. Carl has aged about seven years in the space of two. So, this is a nice moment here where Santa gives Joe his first present. I'm not sure his kid, his age, would be so excited about an elf statue, but it came from Santa's heart. And I guess when you've never received a present before, you're appreciative no matter what. So you can tell that Joe and Santa have formed a bond. And speaking of someone who else has formed a bond with Santa, the little girl who also has not aged a day in a year is more interested in the piano that Santa brought her than the lollipop that Patch left. But her irritating nanny eats it and she kind of floats to the ceiling. This is where we see that the lollipops are going to make everyone fly. You'll see the nanny float to the ceiling. Which actually made her smile, which I didn't know she was capable of, and I don't think Cornelia did either. This other kid uh, kind of takes a basketball and flies up and dumps it in, and another kid flew up to the cookie jar on top of the top shelf. You know, moms will do that. They will put the cookie jar where the kids can't get it. And what kid hasn't dreamed of flying up there and getting the cookie out of the cookie jar? So, Patch and his lollipop are famous, and BZ is going to take advantage of the goodwill, and he's ready for more product. But Patch, however, is kind of ready to go home, you know, being that he figures now that Santa has seen what a success he is, he'll want Patch to be his assistant again, but you know what? BZ is going to take full advantage of him since he's here, and he is going so over the top here. This is where he announces that March 25th is going to be Christmas, too. And I love the look on Patch's face when he hears that. He's just kind of looking at him like, Christmas, too? I don't think Patch is buying it. What they're going to do is they're going to ramp up the reindeer formula into, uh, Candy Canes for March 25th, which is ironically also my mother's birthday. Now we get a nice little moment here where Santa is feeling kind of down about the state of society and how mean people have gotten. I mentioned earlier in the show that this is kind of played out on my favorite Christmas special, The Year Without a Santa Claus, in which Santa is wondering if there's any Christmas spirit left in the world. But, you know, BZ and Patch's antics are kind of putting some doubt in his mind, and he's wondering if it's all worth it anymore. Patch, however, is sitting with his machine producing candy canes and i like how the 
chemicals are stored in what looks like gumball machines. That looks pretty cool. Joe gets caught in the rain, gets sick, so Horning is going to do what any of you would have done and keep him in the basement until he gets better. Because everyone brings in stray homeless kids when they sneeze. Unlike the rest of the kids, she's still got some Christmas spirit left in her. She tells him that nobody goes down into the basement, which means that obviously someone is going to go down there. As you would. Santa, meanwhile, is still down. Puffy isn't the idea and the patches. The best he can come up to is a doll that pees itself. Corny and Joe are still in the basement playing doctor and patient. He has a 99 temperature, and she says that's a fever. Uh, no, it's not, kiddo. You know, even doctors really don't consider 99 to be a fever. They want to hear from you when it's 100, 101. But meanwhile, they were in the basement to overhear Beezy talking about Santa, but finishing him off. And of course, Joe sneezes and is caught. But eventually, Towers is going to tell Beezy that the candy canes explode. And I love the repeated, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. What I like is that Beezy is aware enough to mention that he's sitting there saying, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And, and he actually gets uh, Towers to spit it out that it explodes. Like I said, John Lithgow is just gloriously over the top of this film. And here's an interesting line. According to BZ, reckless people have radiators in their houses. Reckless people. You know what other kind of people have radiators in their houses? Warm people. And I just want to point out that Patch is apparently sleeping in the trunk of his car. And with Joe captured and Cornelia desperate, she's either going to shine the back signal or, or turn on her signal watch. And get Superman over here. Nope. She is going to write a letter to Santa Claus in January. Well, Santa gets a letter and here comes Santa to the rescue. Yes, you heard that right. Remember how I mentioned Santa as a superhero? That's going to kind of start now. Here is Santa giving an inspirational speech to the reindeer, who even though they can't talk, they are showing some signs of intelligence. But boys, we have got ourselves one heck of a problem here. Our little friend Joe is in trouble. And if we don't help him, I don't even like to think of what can happen. I know we're two men short today, but this time, you've got to fly like the wind. Can you do it for me? Can you do it for little Joe? Sure you can. All right, man. Give me that extra effort. I'm counting on you. Yo! I'm not sure how they realized the reindeer in, in this film, but I really like the performance that the animals are giving off. You know, they're acting like they're quasi-intelligent and hearing what Santa's saying. And you kind of saw that with Donner and Blitzen earlier in the film. They seem to be communicating. So maybe there's some kind of hidden reindeer language that none of us know about. Patch is going to find Joe in the factory, and Patch is on the defensive because he doesn't really know what's going on, and... He thinks Joe was under the impression that Patch thinks he's ruining Santa. Which, well, you can tell here from Dudley Moore's acting is that Patch was not intending that. Patch just wanted to show, kind of show Santa what he could do. He really bears no ill will towards Santa, at least that I know of. So he sees the statue and he realizes Santa still likes him. And they're going to go to the North Pole with the candy canes. Off they go. And the candy canes are going to heat up in the rocket. Before Santa and Corny give chase, uh, Corny calls the police and... Towers and the driver get arrested. BZ escapes the law and flies away. Now we're going to get a high-speed chase. Rocket car and slaying reindeer. Who do you think is going to win this? Common and Cupid had the flu, so they're down two reindeer. So they're only going at three-quarter speed. You heard it earlier in the film, too, when they got caught in the blizzard, but it's kind of strange hearing Santa Claus say, oh my god, all the time. Not a point of consequence, but a point nonetheless. 
You know, some of the sound effects of this film were definitely recycled from Superman 3, such as the video game beeps. Now, Santa is chasing the Patchmobile with his sleigh. They can see that the candy canes are exploding. Eventually, Patch and Joe figure it out. Here's where this scene kind of indulges itself, let's just say. Remember early on, the reindeer couldn't do the super duper looper with eight of them. And Santa says the only way to catch up the Patch is with the super duper looper. Okay, fair enough. However, in order to perform this maneuver, the sleigh has to run under the Patchmobile, overtake it from below, and go over. Why couldn't Santa just kind of guide his sleigh under the Patchmobile and catch them then? Why go through all the extra maneuvers other than to give us a nice looking shot? Because I really do like the shot of, from the windshield of the Patchmobile, seeing the reindeer and the sleigh come out, emerge from beneath the, the rocket car. That, I do think that was a cool shot, as is the shot of them doing the Super Duper Looper. But since he had to overtake the rocket car to do perform the maneuver, performing the maneuver seemed to make very little sense. Just kind of went to show that they could do it with six reindeer and not eight. Maybe Comet and Cupid were holding them back. Why, why try to interject logic into such a whimsical film? And apparently as this film ends, Santa is going to adopt Corny and Joe because the boy is homeless and the girl really has no one to come home to. Like I mentioned, the nice callback to the beginning where the childless toy maker is going to, in a sense, adopt all the children of the world on Christmas Eve. Now he's actually adopted actual children. And Dudley uh, laments having to run a school now. The film ends with an elf dance and everyone's happy as the pieces of the car and BZ are in space. BZ is screaming in space. At some point, his eyes just kind of freeze and his heart should explode, but he just flies over the camera, screaming in space, conversing in space. Like Zod, Nursa, Ursa, and Nan did Superman 2. Or like Superman did Superman 4. So, that pretty much wraps that up. Why don't we take a quick break, I'll play another promo, and then I'll wrap this one up. Hang around, folks. Carl, you have traveled far. One journey has ended. A new journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. What I do is spend six episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode so that I can talk about Smallville. Smallville's the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics, and so every eighth episode, I put Smallville under a microscope. Listeners all around the world have been shocked to discover just how awesome Smallville truly is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. I've recently finished what most people regard as Smallville's first run with the conclusion of the mighty third season of the show. But... As awesome as Smallville may have been up to this point, the best is still to come. And I want you along for the ride. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Now with fewer cigarette breaks. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus talks about Smallville every 8th Tuesday only at twotruefreaks.com
All right, welcome back, folks. So, that was what it was. Like I mentioned, this was not the greatest film ever put to celluloid. It had a very good first half and a very lackluster second half. And that's, it's really two movies and with the patch storyline connecting the origin to the what felt like a tacked-on villain plot. But it is one of my favorite Christmas movies for nostalgia reasons. Not the definitive origin about Santa, but, you know, a decent one to watch. Especially if you're just interested in the origin part. That's the best part of this film. The rest of it, not so much, despite my love for John Lithgow as a performer. But, however, I want to hear what you think. Send me an email at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just search for the Man of Screen podcast, and the group should come right up. If you're so inclined and you like or don't like what you're hearing, uh, leave me reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. That will help elevate the show in the directories there. Oh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Man of Screencast. There are no plans at the moment for episode 10 of Man of Screen Extra, so it will really behoove you to hit the Facebook group or follow my Twitter, and I will let you know what's coming up. So, until then, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, or whatever you celebrate. From me to you, have a good one, have a safe holiday. I will see you next time. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of this show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com. And you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.